My name is Ed Akira, and I'm the producer of a short film documentary, a film called Blacks Can't Swim. The aim of the film is to understand why a disproportionate amount of black people and ethnic minorities can't and don't swim. On my journey to find the truth, I'm honored to have been introduced to a gentleman who I'm so excited to be speaking with. He's a television producer, writer, and photographer. Whilst working as a producer for BBC Three, he was responsible for discovering Emily Sunday. He promoted Erica Badu's first shows. He presented NBA basketball on Channel Four. He's a very keen footballer until a recurring injury forced him to stop. He has just made a three-part series of Comedy of Colour presented by Sir Lenny Henry. Mr. Carlton Dixon, welcome to In the Deep End with Edda Kira. Wow, hello. Thank you for such a, a grand introduction. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of that I've probably left out. So is there anything else that you'd want um, the world to know that you've done, that you've been involved in? Not, not really. I'm, I'm, I'm not very good at kind of talking about about things I've done because you know that's that's a little bit boring. You know, I, I won't even do things like LinkedIn, um, even though I know it would help my career. I, I, I'm just sort of not. I'm just not a fan of bigging myself up. Hopefully, my work will will be my calling card rather than my mouth. So, what's your story? I know you can uh, swim. I started at school as a seven-year-old because we had to go, and and I remember when I first got to Latchmere swimming pools in Battersea, which is now a big leisure centre, um, it looked like a big space to drown. It didn't look like an opportunity to, to learn a new skill. It just looked like somewhere where I was going to die. Um, and I remember after the, I remember like the second or third time I went, um, we had to do a kicking drill, which I'm sure you're familiar with as a, as a, as a recent swimmer, yep. and um, I'm holding on to the bar, and I slipped. Now, the pool must have been, or at the shallow end, must have been, I don't know, two and a half, maybe three feet, and and I was submerged for what must have been two seconds, but I thought I was going to die, like seriously thought I was going to die, and a, and a kid who I never knew but will never forget called Malcolm Boyle pulled me out of the pool like just got me back up and and you know what it did was it really it, it made me grateful to the guy it made me think oh my god this place is the place I'm going to die but it also made me think this is something I need to get better at and and strangely enough I didn't really return to swimming after I left primary school until I was in my 20s if you think back to those days yeah. in the community, were there any encouragement? Was there encouragement from from your, you know, from the schools, well, from your well, parents? Well, th the thing is, is that you know, growing up, I, I grew up on a council estate um, in in Battersea, and there was literally one pool in in the borough of Wandsworth that we knew of. So um, obviously, the schools. The school School takes you to swimming classes, but you're not really learning anything. It, it's it's either the council or the government, you know, with an edict that says the kids have got to learn to swim. But you get to the pool and there's 30 of you. And, you know, it takes time to get there. 
it takes a long time for 30 kids to get changed. Then you all go in. Then, you know, you've got to get out really, really quickly because you've got to get back to the school. And all that really happens is, is you know, someone shouts at you for 20 minutes. It's almost like watching a cowboy take control of, of a herd of animals. What, what can be learned in that time? So anyone who was really good were people who whose parents took them outside of the the um the school classes and and back in the day my mum you know did three cleaning jobs in the in the morning and she did four cleaning jobs in the in the evening there was no way she was taking me swimming um so you know it, it seemed to be something that anyone that was good at it they had to have parents who were like no you're going to you know you're going to swim you know, where for the school it was more of an obligation. And I'm a living example of that because, as you as you heard by my story in the mm. film, um, it, it never happened. I asked my parents, it never really happened. I was... But where, I, where, where, where were you brought up? I was brought up in... I, I left the UK. My parents decided to go on a holiday to Ghana, where, where I'm originally from, uh-huh. in, in when I was nine years old. It was a holiday that lasted 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah so I, I grew up in Ghana and I didn't come back till I was about 18, 19 so and obviously over there swimming was definitely not a priority so it never happened um, one, I had a friend um, who was fortunate to have a, a swimming pool in their house wow. and then yeah and, and they were having a party so I told my mum mum come I, I want to go to that party I want, but I, I want to learn how to swim as you had from the film, it didn't happen. Um, so yeah, so when I was decided to do a film called Black Council, I asked my mum, I told my mum that, listen, I want you to be in the film, and because I, I want to be as authentic as possible. Sure. And uh, she goes, no, I don't want to be in a film. Um, I don't want people, and I said, listen, it's because of you that I'm swimming, you are going to be in that film. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there was a compromise. I just used a photograph and her voice rather than her actually being in Okay. There. So, yeah, so that's, that's, that's how it all happened with me, so, and, or, or didn't happen, as the case may be. Mm. Well, well, you know, the thing, the thing is as well is there is nothing sexy about swimming. And, and I really believe that black people... And, and saying a blanket thing is always wrong, but we like doing sexy sports. Yeah. You know, um, so if you look at sprinting, the, you're just seeing beautiful people do things beautifully, where when you watch swimming, you watch, you know, eight people come out, you know, they stand on blocks, and you can't tell, you know, once they're in the pool, you know, they might as well be a video game. So, you know, and then, you know, then somebody wins. We don't even see them leave the pool. So there is nothing sexy about watching swimming. So plus, plus as a sport, no one's making big money. Mm. And, and I think, you know, people are drawn to something if there is a reason for them to do it. Um, And like a tangible reason. So... Say to someone, if you learn to swim, you won't drown, isn't enough because a lot of people are saying, well, I, I don't even live near water. So the chances of me drowning are so, you know, remote. You know, why should I learn to swim? Where if swimming 
you know, be, being good at it paid in the same way of, as being, I don't know, a pre- professional footballer, pools would be full of black people. No question. Yeah. Um, so, so, I, so I think, you know, a big problem is, is it just isn't sexy? And you've got to want to do it because you want to do it. A lot of people drown. And a lot of... Well, Africa has the highest drowning rate and Asia, I think, the right. next time, yeah. So it's, I think that's one of the... But, yeah. Well, well here's, here's, here's something that we, we you know, we, we all have to be aware of. Africa is a massive continent, all right? So, obviously, there's a lot of coastlands, but there's, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of land mass. And swimming, you know... Swimming's expensive, not, and I don't mean primarily from you or I paying to go to our local baths, but wherever you are, the local council or community or town has to have the resources to build a pool. Now, in many parts of Africa, you know, because of climate and, and, and just, you know, the, the way the continent's been raped, um, I, I imagine that there aren't many facilities. Nope. Um, and if we don't have access to facilities, we don't have the chance to swim. You know, it's like if, you know, if we wanted to play squash, I don't know of Africa producing a lot of great squash players. Nah. And it's not because the, the talent base isn't there, but it's because you need a facility. You need to be able to afford the rackets, you know, to build a squash court costs money you know um whether it's a squash court or a swimming pool it needs money to to keep it to a level where it's safe to swim you know it's not just about putting a putting lots of water into a hole you know it's got the the temperature's got to be regulated you know the right chemicals have to be in the pool in order for it to be safe and for people not to come out with with weird diseases you know um so, so I think a big problem with the Caribbean and Africa is the reason why we're not producing a lot of great swimmers is because the economics has been against us. But when you look at major cities here, you know, I live in London and there are swimming pools, even if they're small, small pools. If you want to swim, you can find a pool. Um, but what it also needs is for you to want to use that pool. And and that's a separate thing, but I but I do think when it when it comes to black black and Asian people generally around the world, it's it's access to facilities that are the problem rather than a cultural reason to why they wouldn't want to swim. So so you um, so so you think the cultural reason has more or less been eradicated because previously there was a cultural issue with swimming. I believe so. By speaking to people, um, and I, I, black people are really good at saying we don't do this or we don't do that. So you know, rowing. You know, I can't think of a single black rower. You know, if you, if you, if we if we hung out with a bunch of our friends, they'll probably go, well, you know, rowing's a white sport. You know, football's a black sport. You know, track and field is black. Um, because of the Williams sisters, maybe tennis, t- tennis, tennis gets gets a consideration now. Where before uh, Serena and Venus, that wasn't the case because.
go to terrible facilities and still um, produce champions. But when you look at the generation of tennis players coming up after those girls, you know, they're coming from affluent families. Um, so, so, I, I, so I don't think we, black people in swimming, is, doesn't correlate because of, of um, any kind of historical factors. I just, I just think we can't find a reason to do it. And it, and it seemed as, the, as a sport that our white mates would do rather than something that we'd want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, of course, there is that thing where if you send, you know, swimming isn't, isn't something that you can do in half an hour because you have to go and put your kit together. Then you have to go to the uh, swimming pool and get changed. Then you need to go into the shower before you get into the pool. Then you swim. Then you get out. Then there's another shower. Then you get changed. And certainly with, with black women, and, I, and I'm sure with Asian women as well, there is the, the, you know, the, the challenge of doing something with your hair. The hair. That's a big one. The hair. Yeah. So... So even for a for a quick swim, you know, for you know, for me and you, a quick swim, even if we're in the pool for twenty minutes, the whole process of of getting in and then getting out again probably burns the best part of an hour. And for a woman, that's going to be even longer. And I can see people just sitting there going, "I love swimming, but this is long." Mm-hmm. I can, you know, I, it's easier to kind of get on a bike or or get in a gym. Because at least that way, you know, our hair doesn't get wet, and and it's it's kind of a more efficient use of the time. Uh, but but swimming requires a whole ritual that that you have to be prepared to go through. And like with, for someone like me, I'm bald, so I don't have to worry about my hair. You know, my whole thing is a drill. So you know, my trunks are on even before I've left the house. Um, so I've got it down, but for, but certainly for for a black woman, that that's just like you know, it's a massive chore. Yeah. So that's the problem. So we now so um, the issue. So we need to find a resolution to this, and that's obviously that's why I, I started the Black Can Swim campaign to try and encourage as many people to um, see the life skill of it um, side of it, the the health um, benefits. And, and everything else that comes with it. Um, oh, oh, sorry, I didn't talk about the health benefit. Um, and and one, of, one of the reasons I took up swimming again as an adult was I was in a long-term relationship, and I, and I could see I was, get, I, I was really happy with this girl, but I could see myself getting fat. And, and I wanted to be like, I wanted to be, an Adonis for my woman, and and I don't like lifting weights, which is why I went to the pool. And all of a sudden, my body st- shape started to change, and she noticed, which was great. You know, when I played football, I could run for days because the cardiovascular nature of it was so good, and and, and friends would notice that I was changing, so. You know, where people would, would first laugh and go, come on, man, black people don't swim. After a while, I would go, oh, my God. You know, like, you look great. 
and I felt great. And you know, and, and my, and, you know, my girlfriend appreciated me looking great. If you know, mm-hmm. and it, it kind of it was win, 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 all the way through. So, you know, if you if you if you go to a pool and you see anybody who swims regularly, you, you go rah. Yeah. I get it. I absolutely get it. Because if if a little bit of kind of hardship and spending an extra ten minutes blow drying my hair is the price that I have to pay to look like that, then I'm going. And, you know, so, you know, if it's something that you can do and stick at, the, the benefits, the health benefits, and and if you're, if you're even vain by 2%, you're going to love what it does to you. So all the sisters out there, all the ladies out there, this is, where you, this is what you need to do. Oh man! <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's a couple of black women who swim at my pool, and their legs go on forever. Yep. And and you know they, you're just looking at them. You're just like, this is obscene how wonderful you look. <laughs> and it's and it's just because you know they they've been dedicated to to taking care of of themselves and and understanding that no, it's not just a recreational thing and a life skill. But in terms of what it, it, you know, the byproduct of it is, is the body just looks incredible. Good. And, so, I, I, you know, I know we're living in sensitive times and someone probably won't like me saying it, but it's true. Yeah. Hey, the truth is the truth. You really want to take care of yourself and you really want to tone up swimming. Swimming's the best. Do you see a difference in attitude in swimming between your black and ethnic minority friends yeah. and your white friends? Funny enough, um, the white friend thought, "Oh, this is this is unusual," you know, and and they were really really curious. Um, you know, it, it's it's almost like being a black ballet dancer. They're like, well, you know, we know they exist, but we, we really don't see many of them. So so they were curious. Where my black friend. It, it it almost felt like I I was gonna you know that I was collecting money to count, uh, to climb Everest because they were so invested they were really really invested because you know going back to that old thing of it's something we don't do so they were like you know have you been swimming and any time I hadn't been they'd be like well you're gonna go after work aren't you and it became I I almost became their vessel it's like my black friends were living vicariously through me because they felt it was important that a black man goes to swim every day. Um, So, you know, that old thing from way back of black people don't swim, I think that's been kind of transferred into more of a should swim. And we're really glad that you swim because if you keep on swimming, then we might actually come one day. Yeah, black friends have been be really encouraging where where white friends would be more curious. Curious. So the media, the government, yeah. the education system. So I have my personal views on these establishments and the attitude towards the issue we're having with um, a disproportionate amount of black people swimming and such. But today it's not about me, it's about you. So from a cultural diversity point of view, mm-hmm. it's, it's clear that black people and ethnic minorities are less likely to swim and as a result more likely to drown yeah is there a certain amount of responsibility that should be taken by 
the education system, the government, and the media? Um, right. Now, I think swimming's one of those things. Swimming is like a bad diet, right? We, we choose how we want to spend our time, and we choose what we want to put into our body. Now, I think it would be, I, I think the government are trying when it comes to things like, you know, putting taxes on sugar so, so that the whole population can hopefully live uh, a much healthier life. But, what, but, but they can't do anything when it comes to swimming because, you know, on, when I swim this afternoon, there will probably be 10 people in the pool. Um, now, you know, I live in the borough of Lewisham, and the facilities I go to are, are, are good pools, but, but, you know, 10 people, and I'm not talking 10 black people, I'm talking 10 people, period, um, which, which isn't a good enough take-up. So there's certainly a societal reason to say, you know, we have these facilities, please use them, but... But I don't think, I, or I can't see um, a reason, uh, a reason for the government to be able to say, you know what, we're going to do a program targeted at BAME people. Um, because somebody else will say, well, you can target the BAME, but the white population aren't really using the facilities in the same way either. Um, and, you know, when I, when I was a kid, they used to do public information films, so little short animation uh, films, uh, which which you know encouraged people to learn how to cross the road properly, for instance, um, and how to you know observe traffic lights. And the favourite one of them all was was one about a guy. Um, no, it was about a girl who has got a new boyfriend, and I. I Let's say his name's John. And she's like, John's a great boyfriend. You know, he's a great dancer. You know, he's a great sportsman. I think he's amazing. And then all of a sudden you hear bing and there's a fairy godmother. And she's like, you know, you've got three wishes. And so this girl says, so she goes, what's your first wish? It's like, well, that's simple. Uh, I want to go to the seaside. And bing, they're at the seaside. And the second question is, what would you want next? She goes, well, I want my boyfriend to be here because he's wonderful. And bing, the boyfriend's there, be, uh, there. And then the girl says, let's go and swim. And the boy says, not my scene, man. As is act actual <laughs> words in his cartoon, not my scene, man. And then she goes, I knew I had one more wish. And bing, there's a new guy and his name is Jeff. She goes, this is Jeff. Jeff's a great swimmer. And so they go swimming. So the end of the, the cartoon, um, the guy, you know, the, the great boyfriend who couldn't swim, talks to the fairy godmother. And um, he says, why do I keep on losing my birds? It was the 70s, you know, birds or women. Why do I keep on losing my birds? And the fairy godmother says, you should learn to swim, young man. And that was what we used to say at school. For years, but it was you know I know I went a long way around to tell tell mm. a story, but that was the thing you should learn to swim, young man, and that was to everyone, 
And maybe if there were more public information films just saying more general things in terms of encouraging people, that would help the whole population. So, racism in sports. Yeah. And, and I know you're a sportsman and you follow a lot of sports and you're, you're quite knowledgeable about sports. Yeah. You hear all these stories, especially in football, about these racist antics. Is this a reflection on society, on the society we're living in? Well, in a word, yeah. You know, I'm, I, racism in sport is something I'm really, really passionate about. Because um, let's take, for instance, um, the attitude towards the England football team right now and, and how they seem to be the, you know, the, the flag the flag-waving paragons of racial equality. Now, if you remember back to um, the European Championships, which was, was about two years ago, the whipping boy for the team was Raheem Sterling. Um, and he was out of form. But so was the rest of the team. They were all terrible. But the, the guy that, that really got it was Raheem. Then he went uh, to Chelsea, and those guys, you know, and there were people who were prosecuted for racially abusing him. Then he found form for England. And all of a sudden, everyone cares about racism. Right? It, you know, it's so hypocritical. When you, when you look at the hierarchy of any and every sport, you know, the sports that we're really good at, um, they're run by white people. Um, and white people, sadly, or many white people, only care when, when it directly affects them. So when England win, white people care. When England lose, white people don't care. And we're the first people to be maligned if, if you know, one of our players are un underperforming. Um, you know, so... Even though uh, I'm certainly not saying all white people are racist, I'm not saying the majority are racist either, I'm saying there's, there's an important element that has so much power, and even if their racism is soft and it's microaggressions, it, it all makes a difference. Um, and, and I think when you're looking at swimming or football, whatever it is, you need people sitting at the top table you know, saying we we really do need to change things and we need to be more inclusive. Um, and we, we need to kind of make sure that the story is told properly. So, for instance, any Aluko, any, any story, it was basically that she, she didn't get on with the guy who ran the England ladies football team. And without getting into kind of the machinations of the story. When, when she had an issue with him and she realised she'd never play for England, she knew it was because of her relationship with this guy. And at no point did she make a charge of racial discrimination. At no point. She just said, we are not getting on. And so I know because of a clash of personality, I, I will never play for England again. She then got accused of playing the race card. Now, how you go from we don't get on to any is accusing this guy of being racist 
really gets to me. And, and when you look at the forums and Twitter and some of the things that are being said by someone by someone who hasn't in any way used race as a, as a reason, you then start to see what the attitude is like of the country. You know, while we've been going through this whole Brexit thing, you know, we've been able to see what people are really about. The mask has come down. You know, I've even got Italian friends who, who are like, you know, we can't believe how differently we've been treated ever since this Brexit thing happened. And I've had to look at them going, I've had to look at them to say, imagine what it must be like to be black. Because, you know, you can hide. No one knows that you're Italian until you speak up. We walk around and we're black. And, and you know, in many, uh, in many times in my life, even when I go into Sainsbury's, you know, I, I know when I'm being followed around the store. So, you know, the racist thing and the racism thing is still out there. It may not be as bad as it was in the 70s and 80s, but it's still there. And while it's still there, people of colour will be treated differently. Sometimes we'll be treated better because someone will, will say, you know, we're going to make an extra effort to, to make this person feel welcome. But, but outside of the major cities, you know, I, I, would, I would argue that it's going to be worse. You know, so when you do look at something like Brexit and you see how, how rabid people north of Watford are about not wanting, you know, people from other countries coming into the country. You know, you, you, can, you can see how, you know, you can see the truth of the people of this country, and, and, and it does bother me. Um, but, you know, I live in hope, and, and I have some great friends of all cultures and races, and, and like I said, you know, not all white people are racist, but, the, but, you know, the few that are often hold important positions. Soon gone, Windrush Chronicles. I watched yeah. that. That's amazing, because you, you were part of that, weren't you? Well, I, I, I did the stills, and, and weirdly enough, when Lenny had crucial films, there was a set of monologues done 20 years before that for, for whatever the anniversary then, and I wrote one of the monologues for that. And one of the reasons for this still gone set of monologues, so there was, I think, seven monologues um, going over 70 years. And... One of the things that they wanted to do was show how the black experience has changed over over years. So it's almost a case of, you know, the Windrush generation is dying out um, because, you know, we start off with a with a black woman, we end with a white girl whose great grandmother is a black woman. So, but yeah. um, along the way. Um, uh, there have been more more people um, meeting English people, getting married, having children, and so what we're seeing is not eradicates too strong a word. It doesn't quite say what it is, but being part of of British society has meant that we are seeing less and less people um, from the Caribbean, certainly um, moving forward. And so it was, it was. It was a very honest series about about um, 
you know, coming to a new place, trying to find um, a place where you can call home, wanting to be part of a of a wider community. So, you know, once you get to sort of the 70s, in terms of of any sort of racial identity and an identifying with um, the Caribbean or with Caribbean food, that starts to shift. So, so you're getting people not wanting to eat ackee and saltfish, um, but wanting to eat, um, you know, fish and chips, and just showing how over time the culture has been ebbed away because, you know, people move forward and, and times change and. Sadly, along the way, you know, certainly with the story here, the culture has has changed and, and mutated into a new thing. So, um, yes, it's a really interesting series. I like how I, I say um, Sir Lenny Henry and you, it's just Lenny. So <laughs> you know what, I, I, I've known him, we've been friends since the early 90s. Um, so... You know, he's either Lenny or Len, or him. <laughs> so, about you. So, what have we got to look forward to in the future? Um, gosh. Now, I I've been I've spent the last couple of years working on a piece about a, about morality and sport. So it's a show that it's a drama it's a drama series that isn't about sport, but m forces us to look at issues that have come up because of sport. Um, so, for instance, um, how do you feel about transgender athletes? Okay. Ed, how do you feel about transgender athletes? So, some deep, sensitive subjects. Exactly. So... So before before it kicked off in the way it has now, I spent some time talking to friends and saying, "How do you feel about you know? How would you feel if if someone who was born a man wanted to wanted to become a woman?" Everyone to a man and a woman would say, "Absolutely, I fully support I fully support that that decision." And then I say, "Your daughter." Is a, is a great tennis player. How do you feel about that person who's had a sex change playing against your daughter? And all of a sudden, their attitudes change. And it's like, well, that's not fair. You know, because my daughter's going to be facing somebody who has the bone density and strength of a man. And, mm. and I'm like, but you just said 10 minutes ago that you're really happy with the decision that person who was born in the wrong body has made in order to become a woman. Oh, yeah, yeah, but that's, that was before they were going to play tennis against my daughter. Mm -hmm. And so my series, even though that's not one of the things that we'd be doing, would look at societal issues, but through the prism of sport. And, you know, because one of the great things about sport is you can be any race, any culture, and any age, because even if you don't play sport anymore, you're probably you're, you're you're probably a coach, or you've probably got a talented niece, nephew, son, or daughter who plays it. So, in, in terms of who it encompasses, it encompasses everybody. But I I would just use sport as a way round to kind of you know look at issues, um, 
because you know because it does offer the chance for us to tell diverse stories. Do you think, as a society, we're ready for a lot of these um, subjects that you're talking about? For instance, like football, the Premier Football shit. I don't know of any gay f- footballer that's come out. Um, and, and well, well, there was fashion. Uh, and, and, but that was uh, I'm talking about in, in, in current in current time in today. Well, well hey, the truth of the matter is, if somebody came out as gay right now, they they would be you know they would be seen as a hero. You know, because um, I don't know if you are familiar with Frank Ocean. Yes, I am. Right. So, hip hop is the most misogynist. Um, musical form that there is. There's no question about it. It's really, really misogynous. Um, you know, homosexuality was frowned upon. Then Frank Ocean came along. And you've got prominent people going, this guy's great. And then, all of a sudden, the community embraces Frank. And rightly so. You know, because he should just be allowed to be Frank. And, and Frank Ocean is now a hero to the hip-hop community. And I think because there's been some great work society, you know, in our society in terms of making sure that um, LGBTQ plus people are spoken with the same respect as everybody else, because there's been so much work, um, that if a, if, a gay fo- if a footballer came out as gay today, it would be fine. You know, for the first few games, every time that player touches the football, um, the crowd would all go, ooh, together, because that's what they did when Fashnu came out. So, uh, you know, for a few weeks, there might be a little bit of teasing, but after that, it would be fine. You know, I, I really believe it's, it's, you know, it's time because we all have gay friends. You know, yeah, our yeah. Cl- many of our closest friends will be lesbian or gay. It's no biggie anymore. Yeah. So, so I do think society is ready for it. Um, but obviously, it's easy for me as a straight man to say that. Yeah, yeah so we're truly not. We're not truly going to know until it actually happens. Yeah, um, Carlton, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a mad football supporter, but my, okay. but, but my family are. My friends and family are. Okay, and. From what I can see, what I hear, what I know, football supporters are very unforgiving. Do you think they'll be understanding to something like that? Right, okay. So, unforgiving and understanding are two different things. Football, Football fans really care about one thing, and that's winning. Right, so, if you are an amazing footballer and you're gay and you can win a game, they'll love you. You know, if, if the opponents will hate you, and, and for the opponents, that will be, be the stick that they're going to try and use to beat the star striker with. Right, you know, because, because that's what you do. You, you try and find any reason that you can in order to take somebody else off their game. Um, so, but... but as, you know, but, but for home fans, if the player is playing well, who they sleep with has nothing to do with how the fans feel, feel about them. I, I, I truly believe that. Mm. Okay, so 
being a, a probably being a black gay footballer, kind of some of the problems that we've been experiencing over the over the last few months, uh, being a black gay footballer could um, uh, that could be a very interesting position to be in. Oh no, it, it would be terrible. It would be terrible, you know, because you know when you look at footballers, when you look at black footballers or black sports people generally outside of the UK, their racial the, the racial abuse that they get is incredible. You know, like you know, back in the back in the day, there was um, I'm, I'm saying back in the day, maybe about seven or eight years ago, there was a situation where um, where a black footballer was being racially abused in Sevilla, and the BBC sent sent somebody to Spain to to go and watch watch a football match, and they went to a Real Madrid match, and I I think it might have been. I d- actually, I don't know who Real Madrid was playing, but whoever they were playing, there were black players on the other on the other team. And any time the black players touched the ball, the Madrid fans would racially abuse the hell out of this player. And the person from the BBC said, "I was sitting beside some friends who are affluent middle class people who were shouting racist abuse along with everybody else in the cheap seats." And he said, after the game, I said, you know, did you realise what you were doing? And they didn't. They, they saw it as just, what, what is done? There's a black person, we racially abuse them. And, and, it, and it, was, it, it wasn't even seen as something that was bad. It was just something that they do. So racially abusing players, certainly, you know, back in the 70s, that's, it would happen all the time here. In Europe, it still happens. Um, and like I said, you know, if you add someone being gay to that, it just gives them even more fuel. But I, but I think generally across, across the world, you know, homosexuality in sport is is not the big deal it once was. I, th- I, I, I think just, it will. I just see it happen. I, yeah, I, I, I honestly think it will. And and you know, when you look at um, like the the USA uh, women's team, um, the the woman who won the player of the tournament is an openly gay woman. A lot of that team are openly gay. You know, the United States is one of the most Christian nations in the world, and they found a way to, to accept it. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure if, if black footballers came out, or if black anybody came out as gay in certain Caribbean islands and, and certain African countries, you know, the situation in terms of their their safety would be quite serious because there's still a a big religious component um, in those places. But but you know times are changing. Even if they're changing slowly in s- certain places, they are changing, and and that's got to be a good thing. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Carter Dixon, thank you very very much, and it's been a pleasure having you in the deep end with Edakira. Ed, it's been my pleasure. Good luck with everything and, and you know, keep on fighting the good fight. We'll, we'll do. I will, we'll keep in touch anyway. Definitely. Thank you very much. All right, you You're take a star. Care. Cheers. Bye. Bye-bye.